Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. This is Fundamentally Mormon, and I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be covering Part 5 of Revelations 1880 to 1890, and we're going to be talking about the revelation received by John Taylor, um, May 28th. No, I'm sorry, it was May 1884. And it was received in uh, Logan, Utah. We'll start the reading on page 28 of uh, Revelations 1880 to 1890, which you can find at ogdenkraut.com. And uh, I'm going to let the reader program read for three and a half minutes and let that read the the whole revelation, it's not very long, and then I will come back on in a minute and we'll talk about uh, the revelation and I'll read it again uh, and give commentary on it. Revelation of May 1884, part 5 of Revelations, 1880-1890, to pages 28 are given through John Taylor Logan, Utah, revelation given through President John Taylor in May 1884, Logan. Utah. It was given in answer to President Taylor's inquiry if the Lord had accepted the Logan Temple dedication. Revelations pertaining to the past, the present and the future are promised. 1. As thou hast asked me concerning this temple, thus saith the Lord. 2. I accept this house which thou hast built, and also the labors of the committee the superintendent, and the architect thereof, and of those who have in any wise contributed to the building or beautifying the same, by their labor or by their means. 3. And inasmuch as it shall be preserved pure, and not be defiled, my presence shall be there, even the power of my spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost, which shall be in this house hereafter more fully. 4. And I will acknowledge the ordinances which shall be administered therein, both for the living and the dead. 5. And my blessings shall attend the administration of the ordinances, and shall rest upon those who administer therein, inasmuch as they comply with the order and institutions of my house, and act with purity and singleness of heart before me, according to my word, my ordinances and my law. 6. And this house shall be a house of prayer, a house of learning, a house of God, wherein many great principles pertaining to the past, to the present and the future shall be revealed, and my word and my will be made known. 7. And the laws of the universe, pertaining to this world and other worlds be developed. 8. For in these houses which have been built, I will reveal the abundance of those things pertaining to the past the present and the future, to the life that now is, and the life that is to come, pertaining to law, order, rule, dominion and government, to things affecting this nation and other nations. 9. The laws of the heavenly bodies in their times and seasons, and the principles or laws by which they are governed, and their relation to each other, and whether they be bodies celestial, terrestrial, or telestial, shall all be made known as I will, saith the Lord. 10. For it is my will and my purpose to place my people in closer communion with the heavens, 
inasmuch as they will purify themselves and observe more diligently my law, for it is in mine heart to greatly bless and exalt my people, and to build up, exalt and beautify my Zion, inasmuch as they shall observe my law. Even so, Amen. Notes, Note 1. The Lord accepted dedication of the house of his people. Journal of Wilford Woodruff, May the 22nd, 1884. Okay, like I said, very short revelation. I don't know if I believe it or not, because this revelation from Jesus Christ talks about a bunch of stuff that I don't think ever happened. And I don't know, I could be wrong, but I don't believe the Shekinah glory rested upon this temple either as it did in Kirtland, which was accepted, and which it did uh, in the, uh, the tabernacle of Moses, like the people couldn't even go in because the glory of God was so strong. Um, and there's been other times in the history of Israel uh, where, you know, the glory of God rested upon the temple. So let's get into this reading real quick. And uh, I'll probably just make this a really short program today, but that's fine because, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I want to just cover one revelation a day uh, or one chapter a day. It depends on what book I'm reading. But anyway, so like I said, this is Revelation of May 1884, part five of Revelations 1880 to 1890 starting on page 28, given through John Taylor in Logan, Utah. Revelation given through the president, John Taylor, in May of 1884, Logan, Utah. It was given in answer to President Taylor's inquiry if the Lord had accepted the Logan Temple dedication. Revelations pertaining to the past, present, and future are promised. See, and I don't know if that ever happened uh, like a lot of this stuff that is being promised didn't happen. And I have to go back to the fact that Jesus said if they didn't finish that temple in Nauvoo, that he would reject his church with their dead. And what does that even mean? Like, I believe that it meant that he rejected giving them the fullness of the priesthood and all the things that pertained to that revelation with the restoration of the times and seasons and many revelations promised for building up Zion and redeeming Zion. None of that happened. Um, Jesus said, you know, that they would not be moved from their place, which was Nauvoo. But we know that because of their disobedience, they were actually removed from their place through force. You know, they fled into the wilderness as a, a cursed and rejected church uh, hundreds, if not thousands, died on the journey, you know, and I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't believe that God completely closed off the heavens to these people. I do believe that John Taylor probably did receive these revelations, but this revelation, I don't think it was fulfilled the way that it reads, and you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, Joseph talked about how he'd received revelations and he challenged people to like, come up with your own revelations if you can. You know, it's not as hard, it's not as easy as you think it is. 
and John Taylor's coming up with these revelations, but I have many thus saith the Lord revelations too. And like, they'll say, you know, Joseph Smith said that it's hard to just write down a revelation. Um, and then they'll reject my thus saith the Lord revelations because I guess anybody can write revelations according to some people, oh, except for what Joseph Smith said, but I, I just don't understand it. Anyway, um, receiving a, revela- a written revelation and then having the uh, authority to present it to the world is the sign of a true prophet. Um, of course, there has to be confirmation of the Holy Spirit with that. Anyway, let's get, let's get back into the reading. So we're in verse 1 of this 1884 revelation. As thou hast asked me concerning this temple, talking about the Logan temple, thus saith the Lord, I accept this house which thou hast built and also the labors of the committee, the superintendent and the architect thereof, and of those who have in any wise contributed to the building or beautifying the same by their labor or by their means. Verse 3. And inasmuch as it shall be preserved pure and not be defiled, my presence shall be there, even the power of my spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost, which shall be in this house hereafter more fully. And so I've been in many temples, and I always did feel a spirit of peace and, uh, you know, they are spiritual places. They are very um, sacred places. And I don't deny that fact, even with taking into account the whole rejection thing. I don't believe that they were completely rejected. I believe that what the rejection was, was that um, they were not able to have Zion redeemed at that point. They were not able to... Uh, have the fullness of the priesthood restored to them. and uh, But I do believe that the Lord's anointed was taken away from them. That was Joseph Smith. I do not believe that Brigham Young was the Lord's anointed or John Taylor or any of the rest of them. You can be a prophet, seer, and revelator, and it doesn't have anything to do with you being accepted as president of the church or being the Lord's anointed. Uh, you don't even have to be in an office to be a prophet, seer, and revelator, and that's according to Brigham Young, I believe. And it's a true principle. And like a lot of the things, so I cover all of this stuff. Now I'm reading this book, so I'm going to read this revelation. Doesn't mean that I'm endorsing it. It's just information. But um, I believe that the early leaders of the church had been taught by Joseph Smith, and there's a ton of true things that are part of the Restoration that are talked about by the early leaders of the church, which the leaders of the more modern church don't talk about because they walk away from that. But I don't believe everything that that Brigham Young talked about was from God. I believe that he had his own mind and that he had his own influences and that some of his traditions and his belief structure was really wrong. Um, but there was a lot of true things as well. And and we all have to, um, we don't have to, but we should 
take the things that are said by those who proclaim to be prophets and study out each of the topics line by line, precept by precept, here a little and there a little, as it says in Isaiah 28, and then take what we believe to God and ask for confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And then we can each be founded upon the rock of revelation that that Jesus talked about when he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he talks about how you're Peter, and then upon this rock you shall build my church. Well, the Catholics want to say the rock is Peter because his name means Petra or Petra or Petros, which means rock. But the rock that Jesus is speaking of is the rock of Revelation. Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah because he had received revelation and it wasn't taught to him by man, you know, or or his own thoughts. It was given to him as a revelation straight from the Father. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto me, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, the rock of revelation, Shall I build my church? And that's what we should all do. We should build ourselves upon the rock of revelation because there's a lot of traditions which are not correct. There's a lot of doctrines that are being taught, like, for instance, Jesus being Jehovah, which I've talked about over and over and over again on this program. It contradicts Ether chapter 3. You know, but a lot of people believe it because they're told that that's what they should believe but they don't get revelation for themselves and they are led astray in false doctrines. You know, um, anyway, but continuing on, verse 4, And I will acknowledge the ordinances which shall be administered therein, both for the living and the dead, which is interesting because Jesus said, I will reject my church with your dead. That revelation was given January of 1841, Lyman White talked about how the church had been rejected in 1843, and then the prophet Joseph Smith was murdered in 1844. But now all of a sudden, in 1884, Jesus is saying, I'll, I'll reject, or I will accept these living and dead ordinances. I just, I don't know. Anyway, I'm just presenting the information. I'm not sure if I believe that John Taylor was really receiving a revelation. I think that he thought it was important and that um, and that he would try his hand at it. I mean, these are very short, very simple, basic revelations. Now, Joseph Smith said you, you can't just sit down and write revelations, but I do it. I've done it hundreds of times. Um well, maybe not hundreds of times. I've done it a lot, though, where God has told me to sit down and write down the words that he says to me. And I do it, and then people are like, oh, you're a false prophet because you receive written revelations that are from the devil. Well, yeah. Jesus healed a bunch of people, and he did a whole bunch of stuff, but he did it by the power of Beelzebub. It's the same argument. You know, um... He spoke the words of God all the time, and they wanted to say that was just his mind. 
you know, Joseph Smith taught that, that you can't just sit down and write revelations unless it's from God. But I disagree with Joseph Smith because you can get revelations from Satan. In fact, he is more than happy. If you are a prophet, seer, or revelator, Joseph Smith actually said you can be a, uh, have the gift of seership and then fall and receive revelations from a false source. I'm paraphrasing that a little bit, but that's what Joseph Smith taught, and that's what I believe. Because I, I know by experience, relatively few times God has spoken to me and told me to write down revelations compared with all of the revelations that Satan has tried to give me throughout the years. That's why I've been able to develop and hone my ability to get confirmation of the Holy Spirit. If if what I believe is true, or even if I'm receiving a thus saith the Lord revelation, after I write it down, I tell God, okay, this is what you I believe you said. Is this correct? And then the Spirit will either confirm or reject or deny or or withdraw, I guess is what I should say. You know, according to, and it's line upon line, it really is. You know, um, because Satan's always trying to throw revelations at you. I've had revelations where God is speaking to me, and Satan will in, try to interject within the revelation. And I have to go back and say, okay, that was not from God. You know, but then I have to check it with confirmation of the Holy Spirit. It takes time. You've got to be vigilant or diligent, maybe, uh, you know, when you receive revelations to make sure they're correct. I had a friend who was a seer. He had a seer stone. He received many revelations and translations using a seer stone. Um, He had a great gift. But Satan kept giving him revelations because when that that gift is opened up to you you will receive information from both sides and it can be overwhelming the only reason for me it's not overwhelming is because i would take everything to god and satan realized that he his like revelations that he was trying to give me were only making me draw closer to God and to develop those skills and that talent. And he stopped doing, now he tries to do it every once in a while, but he stopped uh, throwing so much information at me all the time and, and started using people just to attack me, people that hate me for no reason at all, never even know me. Uh, they're possessed. They're weak-minded individuals. It happens all the time. It, it continues to happen. That's why I kind of don't like to be around people because it doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how just you think you are. If you have a weak mind and Satan can use you, he will use you. <laughs> In fact, there was this guy that I lived in, um, he lived behind my house over in Orangeville, Utah. Dave Demick. That's his name. Name dropping here. Anyway, so when he first moved in, we were really friendly with him and his pretend wife, Melinda. She was his girlfriend. He was like in his late 50s and she was like in her 20s. It was so stupid. Well, maybe she was like early 30s. 
Anyway, but um, so we became friends with them. And she even bought or he bought my wife's old wedding ring from her first marriage, you know, and he never paid her completely for it. But and then we used to watch their son and daughter. My wife did. And they never paid us completely for anything. They, you know, whatever. And we never even brought it up. But we had this tree in our backyard, which was their side yard. And the branches hung over the property that they were renting. And he used to come outside in his tidy whities and yell at my kids. And my kids, my little girls used to play around this tree. My daughter, uh... She was convinced that the tree was magical. Anyway, but she came in one day and she said, the ogre's yelling at us. And uh, yes, that's what she called him, the ogre under the tree. <laughs> anyway, but this guy, um, he found out some some rumors about me because uh, Orangeville First Ward is full of rumor mills. Which, by the way, I cursed that ward and they closed that ward down, which I thought was funny. But um, anyway, so he, he'd heard some lies. And instead of asking me if they were correct, he just started trying to fight me all the time. Like he would scream and yell at me on his property and try to get me to get, go onto his property to fight him. And I was like, no, you're an idiot. Anyway, I couldn't understand why he hated me so much. I mean, I thought I was a friendly neighbor, you know. Anyway, so um, I'm on my way home from work, and I stopped into the Maverick in Huntington one time, and lo and behold, here comes Dave Demick. And now he had tried to fight me in the streets. He had, like, every time he would drive past, he would scream vulgarities at me. And anyway, so I was like, I, I immediately thought, okay, this camera's in here. If he starts something, it'll be on camera and I'm not the aggressor. So, but I did go up to him when I saw him walking into the Maverick and I said, why do you hate me so much? I've never done anything to you. And he, he scowled and yelled at me, I hate the way you look. I hate your face and I hate your gut. And then he wanted to go out in the parking lot and fight me. And I was like, why? I've never done anything to you. I'm not going to fight you. I don't understand why you hate me so much. But he was just one example of literally hundreds of people. I have literally been in hundreds of fights in my life and I never started them. But because I was abused so severely when I was a little kid, and and growing up, I will not let myself be put in that situation anymore. And if somebody comes after me, I will go and I will throw down. You know, I was in uh, wrestling in high school as well, and I am a very strong individual. And I've only lost two fights in my life. Um, once when I was 12 and I had a high schooler beat the crap out of me. For, I don't even know why. He hated me so much. You know, I can still remember him to this day, and I still remember him harassing me at the bus stop all the time. Just me. You know, and then there was another time right after I got off my mission, I was driving a flatbed truck hauling um, railroad ties, and this guy attacked me, and like, 
I was just grabbing my stuff to get out of the truck. And when I, when I got down on, or I think he threw me down, actually. I think he came up behind me because I said I was, I actually told him I quit. So it was my employer. He grabbed me by the back of the shirt and pulled me down backwards out of the truck. And then when I got up, he kicked my leg in backwards. I actually had a hyperextended knee. And then the police wouldn't do anything about it because I was on his property. I'm like, what in the... And this is in Salt Lake City. I used to fantasize about shooting that guy. You know, but he ruined my leg for like... I had to wear a brace for over a year. And if I didn't wear a brace... I the knee would come out of its socket and oh my gosh it was so painful but there was no I, I quit his job because of the way he was treating me and he completely full on attacks me and then like another t- uh, time and I know I'm going off on tangents but this revelation is so short so anyway but there was another time that I had just started in the oil fields out uh, south of Roosevelt and Vernal, out in the Oray oil fields. And I was a production driver. And um, the, the head of the shop had never met me before. Her name was Rose, out on Glen Bench Road. And she had never met me before, and she hated me. For no reason. Never met me before. Hated my guts. Right off the bat. And for the couple of years I was an oil field worker. She hated me. And there was no reason for it. Like I try to be friendly to people. You know. And they don't even know why they hate me. It's just that they're weak minded individuals. That Satan can use as tools to, to, to come against me. Because there's no other reason for it. And literally, this has happened hundreds of times in my life. Luckily, when I am attacked physically, I it's like so weird. Like God takes over my body and I do things that I, after, I'm like, how in the heck did I do that? You know, like my last fight, luckily, the last fight that I was in, my last physical altercation was like Four, almost five years ago. Actually, it was five years ago this month. Or, wait, it's October. No, it was five years ago next month in November. I was over, I used to take the mail um, from Emory County and Carbon County up to the post office distribution center in Provo, Utah. And then it would take them like six hours to process all the mail. And then I'd go back in at two o'clock in the morning and I would load my truck and, and then go back down to to Price, Utah, in Carbon County and deliver all their mail to that post office in Price. And then I would deliver all the mail to all the post offices going down to Emory in, Car- or in Emory County. Emory's a town and a county. So anyway, but so I would go over to the Flying J, which was a couple miles south of the post office distribution center. And I would sit in the driver's lounge and I'd talk to drivers and watch TV and just kind of relax. You know, I had my vehicle up there that I used to drive up at the beginning of my work week. So I'd drive up from where we lived in Orangeville up to Provo, pick up my truck and then come back down. And then I had an apartment in Farron that the post office paid for. Anyway, so I would I would go over to this Flying J. Well, 
I'm sitting there watching TV, talking to the truck drivers, and I had my bag sitting in a chair with my stuff in it because I would feel there too and I would uh, take a shower there because I'm like, what else am I going to do? Like, I enjoy the hot showers at Flying J, so I'm going to take a shower. Anyway, so I had my bag sitting there and this guy walks in and he sat down on my stuff and I was like, dude, get off my stuff. And I like stood up and he sucker punched me in the face. Just bam, right in the face. I didn't even see it coming. And then he starts to attack me. And it's so stupid because he had a pit bull inside of the truck stop. And the pit bull jumps up and grabs my right arm up the upper part and is like got her jaws clamped around my arm. I had like, I still have scars from that dog. So I'm like punching the dog in the face and this guy's punching me in the face. I'd never had a black eye before. I had a black eye this time, you know. Anyway, so I went to, I, after the dog finally released because I punched her so many didn't, it was a girl dog and I don't like hurting dogs, but this dog was attacking me and this other guy's attacking me. Nobody's helping me. Luckily, there was a bunch of witnesses. You know, anyway, um, but I went to town on this guy and I did some things that I was like, after the fact, I was like, what? How in the world was I? I like super strength and like these strange moves. And it was like I was seeing it happen and my body was doing things. And I was like, how in the world after the fact? And the, the manager, after everything was done, she was like, you got attacked by a pit bull and a guy. And he's going away in the ambulance. And you're not. And yeah, that's the way it was. And that's the way it always is. And like, I do things, but it's like God takes over and I become like this crazy warrior that does these strange things and i'm like whoa anyway i don't know why i'm talking about that i haven't talked about that for a long time and i'm like in the middle of reading this revelation but it is what it is so anyway but um i don't know about this revelation i don't know what to think about it and I don't know if I care enough to go get revelation, whether it's true or not. I mean, it's in, it's information. It's interesting. And I guess the only reason I really bring it up is because we're reading this book, for one. I'll read everything, even if I don't agree with it, and then I'll talk about it. But why aren't these revelations canonized? Why aren't they in the Doctrine and Covenants? There's more important revelations that are going to come. We'll talk about those revelations when we get to that point. But why aren't these canonized? Verse 5. And my blessing shall attend the administration of the ordinances and shall rest upon those who administer therein, insomuch as they comply with the order and institutions of my house, and act with purity and singleness of heart before me according to my word, my ordinances, and my law. And every time he talks about his law, when he's talking to John Taylor, he's talking about plural celestial marriage and being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 6, And this house shall be a house of prayer, a house of learning, a house of God, wherein many 
great principles pertaining to the past, to the present, to the future shall be revealed, and my word and my will be made known. We're on page 29, verse 7. And the laws of the universe pertaining to this world and other worlds be developed. Okay, so this is supposed to be stuff that happens in the temple, right? When did that ever happen? When did God reveal the laws of the universe in the Logan Temple? Verse 8, For in these houses which have been built, I will reveal the abundance of those things pertaining to the past, the present, and the future, to the life that now is and the life that is to come. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, wait, I guess you can take it a couple different ways. So um, the lecture at the Grove, which was the last sermon that Joseph Smith gave, he actually talked about having multiple mortal probations and he he like gave this massive truth bomb before right before he died and so when people say the life that is to come like they could be talking about eternal life in the next world but we live multiple times and it's not reincarnation on the same planet it's from world to world well god revealed to me a secret that People who are damned in a state of resurrection, who are not exalted, are damned, which means they cannot progress any further. And they're stuck in that for all eternity. But he showed me that they are allowed to put off their resurrected bodies to become spirits again and go back on a newer earth and go through the... uh, the things that they need to go through so that they can progress in resurrection, progress in in, in resurrected glory. And it's not something they have to do, but it's something that they do. And eventually, if they continue on that path, they will become exalted. And you might have to go through hundreds or thousands of lifetimes, but in eternity... Does it matter how many times you go through a life? I mean, this life is so short, relatively speaking. I'm 44 years old, and it's just zipping by. I mean, I guess when you're younger, it doesn't seem like that. But as time goes on, the years get shorter and shorter. The seasons fly by with such speed. You're like, where did the summer go? Where did the winter go? Where did this? I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And then if you take the perspective of eternity no wonder one of God's days is a thousand years because his perspective of eternity is different than ours for one but we have all of this time in the the eons of time to choose to go on a new earth because God creates new earths all the time his work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man and to fill the universe with his organized creation. And he wants us to help with that. And numerous, innumerable worlds have been made just like this one. We go through an eternal, we go through an earth round 
we gain from the experience, we learn from the experience, even the, the hard things we learn from the most, you know. So if you've had a, a blessed and cushy life, oh, you're still learning things, but the people who go through trials and tribulations, they their growth is exponential. I mean, it's massive. But we go through all these things, and then a short 30, 40, 50, 80, maybe we live to 120. But even just taking into account the telestial phase of the history of this earth, 120 years is nothing. And then we take eternity and it's like, it's, it's like a drop of water in an ocean. And in Revelations, it talks about this earth being made a, a, a sea of fire and glass. It's celestial earth, right? It becomes a celestial earth. And God creates a new heaven and a new earth, a new Shamaim. And this earth joins in with the heavens. And God creates a new earth. Well, why does he do that? So that this earth becomes the pre-existence of that earth. So that those who choose to put off their resurrection can go on to a new earth and go through another mortality to learn and to grow in hopes of gaining a better resurrection. That's why it talks about the new earth in the book of Revelations. And Joseph Smith revealed those things in the lecture at the Grove which I think is interesting because God revealed those things before I ever knew about the lecture at the Grove. He does that to me all the time. He'll reveal something to me, and then I'll find it as I'm studying. I'm like, whoa, like God told me that. And it's like it just confirms to me that, you know, I'm not losing my mind, that these are things that God revealed to me. And then I find that somebody else talked about it, Joseph Smith, revealed those deeper doctrines. And I was like, when I found that one out, I was like blown away. I was like, that is so awesome. Like God showed it to me. But then I find out Joseph Smith actually used to teach those things as well. Anyway, uh, back to the revelation, those things pertaining to the past, the present and the future to the life that now is and the life that is to come pertaining to law, order, rule, dominion, government, and government to things affecting this nation and other nations. Verse 9. The laws of the heavenly bodies in their times and seasons and the principles or laws by which they are governed and their relation to each other and where whether they be body celestial, terrestrial, or telestial, which all be made known as I will, saith the Lord. Verse 10, For it is my will and my purpose to place my people in closer communion with the heavens, inasmuch as they will purify themselves and observe more diligently my law, any of God's laws, like we make excuses all the time, why we don't have united orders, even though the church got caught with its pants down in the Anzine Peak account with a hundred all over a hundred and thirty billion dollars in that one account investment account. 
Somebody leaked it. The church didn't want us to know about that. They got they got in trouble with the government too because they were hiding uh, investments. Anyway, but they had a one account, one hundred and thirty billion dollars, and like sixteen billion dollars a year just in tithing received. And there's not one United Order. Seriously, Rusty. I know you listen to these programs. You ain't fooling me. I don't because oh we. Because they answer me in general conference, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, and then, like, I used to bring up the whole, um, the devil coming out and saying, if you don't live up to every covenant you've made this day, you'll be in my power, and I would, like, use that to beat the church up with, and then they're like, oh, that's out of the endowment. You know, they hear, but they don't acknowledge, and they refuse to repent, and they make up excuses isn't that the way it always is with people who are doing wrong with children, Rusty? They make up excuses as to why they're doing what they're doing, but they know that they're wrong, like you know that you're wrong. You know, you can try to set the house of God in order. Good luck. While that man who is called and appointed stretcheth forth his hand to steady the ark, and is destroyed by the vivid shaft of lightning. Where did I get that from? Doctrine and Covenants, section 85, verses 7 or 8. And it's right after Jesus tells Joseph Smith that he will have to send this prophet who is mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, implying it would become out of order. While that man who is called and appointed stretches forth his hand to study the ark, to try to set the house of God in order, but he doesn't have authority to touch the ark. It's not his job. He was called and appointed to be a steward, but it's not his job to study the ark and to set it in order. I mean, he can repent. Hopefully he does, you know, but, but God destroys him by the vivid shaft of, of lightning. According to the revelation, anyway. The reason why somebody can't just come in and set things in order is because they can do all things right, but if they don't have that one link for the law of adoption, it doesn't matter. Because truth be told, you can be sealed to your spouse and sealed to your children, but if you're not sealed to God, it means nothing. Joseph Smith, in his day, when he received his calling and election, he was sealed up to God. And people, when they were sealed to him, they were sealed to God. That's why men were sealed to Joseph Smith. Everybody's like, were they homosexuals? I don't understand. You know, women were sealed to Joseph Smith as well. Married women were sealed to Joseph Smith. It doesn't mean that they left their husbands, but there had to be a sealing ordinance. And if the men were not willing to be sealed to Joseph Smith, then how did the women, how do the women who were not sealed to their husbands, they hook themselves up to Joseph Smith? And everybody's like, polyandry? No, this has nothing to do with polyandry. Joseph Smith did not consummate any of those, those marriages. There were no children born to those women who were his polygamous wives. Not one. And we know Joseph could get somebody pregnant because Emma did have lots of children. They did. It wasn't about sex, as Brigham Young tried to make it into. It was about selling ordinances. 
Joseph Smith was sealed to the Father and people were sealed to him, thus creating a link, turning the hearts of the children to the fathers in heaven. And the fathers in heaven being sealed to all that are in the heavens, there's this massive link back to Father Adam and beyond. Joseph Smith was that man in his day. Wilfred Woodruff corrupted that, doing away with the law of adoption, and then other people corrupted it, and then there was this whole severing of the, all of the ordinance of the earth, which happened in July of 2013, which is prophesied in Daniel chapter 12, where the man clothed in linen scatters the power of all the holy people in the last days. I mean, I wonder who that is. Who are the holy people in the last days? And what is the power? It's the priesthood. That's because there had to be a hard reset done. A hard reset because of all the corruption and all the lies and everything. And the priesthood's still on the earth. You just don't know where it's at. And you probably don't even realize that you've lost it. But when the Father laid his hands upon my head and gave me the fullness of the priesthood, he also sealed me up into himself thus making me the link on the earth for the children to be sealed to the fathers, just like Joseph Smith was. I'm that man. And that's why it says there can be only one man on the earth at a time. Joseph Smith was that man. Brigham Young never became that man. Brigham Young was sealed to Joseph Smith. So was Heber C. Kimball. And people were sealed in chains, like priesthood chains, in sailing power to back to Joseph Smith, which brought it across the veil to the Father and the gods and all that that are sealed together in the heavens. He was the link at that time. That's why not anyone can just go in and set the house. You can do all you want, but if you don't have that, the house is not in order. That's why Rusty Nelson will never repent because he can't relinquish his authority. You know, and I'm not calling. I don't want any of this, but this is what God has done. I have been chosen. Not because of who I am, but because of who I was in the pre-existence. I was chosen. I did not want this role. I was dumbfounded when God finally, he said, kneel before me and ask me who you are. And I kneeled before him and he showed me and I was like, even after he showed me, it took me a minute to process because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But it, but it began to make so much sense because I was like, how did Joseph Smith, like he had all these things happen and he never embraced the father, but I did. He never knelt before the Father and had the Father's hands placed upon his head. But I have. And then when God showed me who I was and why I was called to that position of authority, I was like, I looked at him and I was like, am I the witness? And he had this huge smile on his face. And it was like, he was like, you're finally starting to wake up. And I was just like blown away standing there watching this vision that God had placed before me in this place. And I was just amazed. 
And it made so much sense why I was sealed up into eternal life, why my calling and election was made sure, why my patriarchal blessing said that I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life. Why I've seen the Father and the Son face to face, why I've received revelations, why I've been caught up in the Spirit, why I've laid my hands on, on those who are almost dead and they come back to life, why I have been able in times of emergency to command the elements and that the, the winds obey my voice. Why I have had thus saith the Lord revelations and visions and dreams and all of the gifts of being a prophet, seer, and revelator. And why I have been called out like Samuel the Lamanite to stand upon the wall, the metaphorical wall, and preach and teach until people repent and turn back to their first works, back to the restoration, back to the truth, and live it. One of the problems with fundamentalists is they know all about a whole bunch of stuff, and they pick and choose what they want to live. Oh, they're ready to jump into plural celestial marriage all day long, all the time, but they're not willing to do the other things. Or they're doing it half-heartedly. Or they're they're like, well, it's a tradition to send out the elders who are young elders to go with that person's script, even though in the beginning it was the 70s who were apostles who were sent out into the world and the quorum of the 12 were traveling ministers. So the 70s would go before them and gather in the people and then the apostles would teach them. But it got to the point where we're just going to ignore that and we're going to send out these kids to do the job that we should be doing as apostles and prophets. And because we don't obey the laws of God, God withdraws himself from us as a people. For it is in mine heart to greatly bless and exalt my people and to build up, exalt, and beautify my Zion in so much as they shall observe my law. Even so, amen. The Lord accepted dedication of the house of his people and this revelation was written down in the Journal of Wilford Woodruff, May 19th, I'm sorry, May 22nd, 1884. Did you know that they instruct the the leaders of the church not to keep journals anymore? Because they don't want a paper trail. Because these journals that Wilfred Woodruff wrote and these uh, journal of discourses and all of these talks and all of these journals and all of this stuff, like as the church tries to hide different things, these journals come back and bite them in the butt because they're trying to dumb down the church to make it more apostate Christian so that more people join them. And then they argue, we're Christians too. I don't want to be an apostate Christian. Why are you trying to be? We're Israelites. We're supposed to be following God's laws. Who cares if they don't call us Christians? We believe in Jesus HaMashiach, 
Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ in Greek. We're Israelites. We're a we're a peculiar people. We should be anyway. More often than not, we go whoring after our lover Babylon and then give God lip service. We're supposed to be Israel. Stop calling yourself Christians and call yourselves restorationalists, I guess. The people of Zion, the saints of God. Why do we want to be like apostate Christianity? Don't you know that we're supposed to be a Kadosh people? What does Kadosh mean? It's Hebrew. It means to be set apart, to be holy, to be reserved unto God. Are we setting apart our lives out of Babylon and being a holy and peculiar people? Or are we just going along in Babylon and doing whatever we can to to prop up Babylon, even though Joseph Smith said it is not the mind and will of God that the saints should build up Babylon the Great. But then we get, you know, the leaders of the church today, they take your tithing and your offerings and they invest them in the markets and then they've got $130 billion in one account for a rainy day. During the pandemic, they actually had the gall to say that it was for a rainy day. Like they could be helping people. They could be blessing people. Like if you split up $130 million between the 5 million active members of the church, I'm sorry, $130 billion. Why don't we have United Orders? And that's not even, that is a small drop in the bucket of what the, the church actually, that was one investment account, the Enzyme Peak account. Google it, look it up. They take the increase of investments in Babylon the Great to build $7 billion shopping malls downtown that promote Babylon the Great over God. And they try to hide it and they say, don't worry, members, we're not using tithing funds to build this $7 billion shopping mall. What do you mean? Is there like some widget factory that you guys have like produced off on the side? And how did you get the money to build that widget factory that you've made billions and billions of dollars on? No, what they're doing is they are they are taking your tithes and your fund, uh, your offerings and investing them in different uh, business portfolio account, whatever. You know, they fund research for medical whatever when that research is coming from aborted fetal tissue to make their vaccinations. And then lo and behold, they tell everybody to get the shot. It's a conflict of interest for one, but also they're using your sacred tithing funds to invest in companies that are aborting babies and using their, their dead tissue aborted stem cell research to build, uh, to make these vaccinations, which, by the way, is one reason why you shouldn't take the vaccination, no matter what President Rusty says. The vaccinations were developed using 
aborted baby tissue. And there's a whole bunch of other... They're screwing with your DNA and your RNA when they inject you with that stuff. And then the, the church issues a statement, and they don't even sign the statement. They just type out their names on the bottom. Because they had to, because they were afraid the CDC was going to sue them or something, which which excuse was given by one of the leaders of the church, which doesn't even make any sense, because the CDC doesn't have the authority to sue anyone. You are being sold a line of BS by these people that you proclaim to be prophets, seers, and revelators, even though they don't have any of the fruit of actually being what they claim. Anyway, uh, I guess this is good enough for the program. It's We're uh, 58 minutes into it, so it'll be an hour-long program. If I have anything left, if I have anything more to say in the morning, I'll say it. Um, cause I record these programs the night before and then, so I usually get home between five and five thirty in the morning and then I wake up my wife and I wake up my kids and, and I try to drop the programs by six. That's what I've been doing. But like this morning I was like, Oh, I want to say these things. And then I actually, the program I did yesterday was like two hours long. So, and then I dropped it at seven in the morning, which I think is a a decent time. But like, I'm up till eight in the morning every morning. Uh, Of course, from 7.30 to to eight, I'm like taking a shower and cleaning off and getting ready for bed so I can sleep as long as I'll sleep and then get up and do these radio programs. So I'm going to drop the programs between six to eight in the morning. And if I have something more to say, then I will do my job as my da- uh, as a dad, a father, and wake everybody up. And I'm going to go down and sit in my chair. And you might hear kids talking in the background because that happens. My daughter Eliza was like yelling at my other daughter something. And I, I had to pause the program. I was like, stop. I'm trying to record. <laughs> um, but... If I don't have anything to say, then I'll just add the ending music in the morning. And then, so if you hear the music, that's the end of the program. But I think we've, I think we've covered enough for today. And, uh, tomorrow. So that'll be, this will be dropped on Wednesday and then we'll have a Thursday program. We'll continue on with part six. Of the 1880 to 1890 revelations, which you can read for free at ogdenkraut.com.